Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by one of the men of Moses Lake Baptist Church. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Psalm 16, and uh, this psalm is called a miktam of David. underneath uh, in your Bible where it says Psalm 16, and you may see this in some, of the other, uh, in some of the other Psalms, right underneath where it says uh, what would normally be a chapter division. Uh, in this case for the Psalms, you have a uh, kind of song division of each of these individual Psalms were songs at one point. Uh, some of them they sang as they were going from wherever their hometown was up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And uh, some of those psalms were called uh, the Song of Ascents. And uh, you have a lot of those. I can't remember exactly where it is, but you have like Psalm 120 to 130 or 120 to 140, somewhere in that range. Uh, Some of the songs were songs uh, just of lament and of grief. Um, You have one of the psalms that uh, they talk about how the Babylonians took them away into a far country and they took them away from Jerusalem and how the sadness that they have as a result of that, and they ask God for vengeance in that. And uh, so there's just a lot of very different uh, maybe themes that you see in the Psalms. But this particular Psalm, uh, you have right underneath where that uh, song title is, or that Psalm 16, the number for it, you have that word miktam of David. And that wasn't put in there as maybe like, okay, this is describing this for you. Some Bibles will have uh, maybe, I don't think this one has it, but under different chapters or under different portions of the book uh, of the chapters in the Bible, it'll say things like Jesus feeding the 5,000. And it'll just have kind of uh, maybe notes that'll help you as you're reading to see what's underneath. And obviously we know that those uh, little maybe parentheses, those things that would be in italics, uh, wouldn't be uh, inspired in any way. Those are just uh, some things to help us as the reader determine what's happening. But in the Psalms, when you see under this one, Miktam of David, uh, under the next one, a prayer of David, and then under Psalm 18, you can see a nice little section in there. Each of those things were actual parts that accompanied these Psalms in the text. So when someone was writing Psalm 16 for this particular one, it's David, he wrote a Miktam. And uh, there's several of these ones that are called a Miktam, and uh, what that word means is golden, Uh, Some people have also uh, put it as almost like written in stone. And the thought here is that this is a song, this is a truth that David has that he wants to be cemented in his mind and uh, by the Lord putting it in Scripture. This is a psalm that God wants you to have engraved, etched, seared into your mind as a believer. This is a very special psalm Uh, in a lot of ways, but one of the things that makes it so incredible is it wasn't written during uh, maybe David's reign as king. This isn't written when the sun is shining. This isn't written when everything's going well for David, Uh, maybe when he's enjoying some of the peace, maybe when he's uh, building some of the materials or gathering some of the materials, rather, for uh, Solomon's temple to eventually be built. It's not one of those psalms. It's not even one of those psalms that happened when uh, maybe David was out in the fields watching his father's sheep. And uh, there you have maybe a psalm like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This isn't one of those psalms. This psalm is written during a horrible time in David's life. 
This was one of those times when Saul was pursuing David and trying to kill him. And uh, we know from studying scripture that David hadn't done anything against Saul. Uh, to the contrary, he had supported Saul. He had fought in Saul's army. Uh, he had done everything possible to further God's victory, to further Israel's victory, to further Saul's victory. But because of the jealousy that Saul had towards David, he wanted to kill David. And what uh, further kind of enthused this hatred in Saul was that Samuel, the prophet of God, had told him, God says, because of what you have done against God, because of the disobedience that you've had, because of the rebellion that you've shown, God's going to take the kingdom away from you and give it to David. And so Saul, knowing what God was going to do with David, wanted to stop what God was going to do in David's life. He wanted to, if he could try, to kill David. On several occasions, he threw spears at David, um, and during this time when the psalm is being written, Saul is going so far as to leave the capital of Israel at the time, leave the throne, leave all of the different things that were happening in his court, and going after David in the wilderness. Obviously, when you want to hide from someone, especially maybe at that time a king or a ruler, you would try and get into a place that had no civilization, you weren't running into people that could uh, tell on you or could say, hey, David's over here. A couple of times when David went into cities, uh, and even one time when he was with a company of priests, uh, a shepherd that was passing by uh, kind of that uh, gathering of priests saw David, went and told Saul, and Saul went and annihilated a lot of those priests of God. Um, in this, David decided, all right, I'm going to run into the wilderness, and hopefully I'm going to be safe there. But Saul continued to pursue him. So much so that David finally comes to this mountain. Uh, I believe the pronunciation's Moan or something like that. And uh, as he comes to the mountain, Saul and the men that were with him came to the other side of the mountain. David and his men didn't know how they were going to get away. They didn't see a way that God could get them out of this. But then a messenger came to Saul and told him, hey, the Philistines are attacking we need you to lead our army. And so because of that bad news of the Philistines coming, then Saul and all of his men had to go away, and David was safe. Now, at this point, David, in the mountain that he's at, is only about 30 miles away from his hometown of Bethlehem. He had grown up there. It was where all of his family was, his parents. Uh, many of his brothers were all living in Bethlehem. It was the land that God had said, um, hey, you're going to, you and your family are going to live here. You're going to reside here. Uh, property was a very, very, very important thing uh, to the Jews, especially during this time uh, that God had said, hey, here's the allotments that each of the different tribes of Israel are going to have. So the different families in the tribes of Judah are all in this one section, and that's where they're supposed to live. They're not supposed to sell their land to someone else. If they did, God had written in the law that seven years later, that land would be returned to the original family. God had a very specific plan for the families of Israel. But David now has been on the run for a very long time from Saul. He's not enjoying that land that God had said, hey, 
you and your family are going to live here, you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to work the land. And uh, he's not in that scenario. He's far away. And uh, during this time, he's probably the closest or one of the closest times that he's ever been to his hometown. And he can see it just 30 miles away. And in this situation, having almost been caught by Saul, having God deliver them through having the Philistines attack, through being so close to hometown, David writes this psalm. The Jews historically have used this psalm when facing death. Uh, Perhaps a dread disease had overtaken one of God's children and death was inevitable. He would flee to Psalm 16. When one of God's people had a loved one or a friend who was facing death, he would read or sing this psalm. The first thought of this psalm is focus on God. He says here in verse number one, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. Here we have this first thought that David brings out. He says here, I'm going to see if I can go back. Oh, sweet. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He says, God, you are the one that I know I can trust in. So because of that, preserve me. And can I tell you, in our lives, there's great encouragement in knowing that whatever God is, whatever God has promised himself to be, that you can claim those promises from his word that maybe right now you're going through a tough time with family members, that you can claim that promise that God is our peace. You can claim the promise that God wants us, uh, we know from Romans chapter 12, to as much as life in us, live peaceably with all men. And you can claim that promise and say, hey, God, I know that you say that you're a God of peace. I know that your Holy Spirit, one uh, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is peace from you. And God, right now in this situation, maybe with this family member or with this coworker, I'm not having peace. There's a lot of contention there. God, I ask that you would please help me to have peace in this situation. Uh, maybe it might be uh, like with Brother Fountain Sr., where right now he's sick and he's going through these different treatments. And I know uh, a couple of the promises that he's holding to is that the Lord is good. And saying, God, I know that whatever happens, you're good. And I'm asking that your goodness would be shown, we would pray in healing. We know that the Bible says that the Lord is our great physician. And in that way, we're praying, hey, Lord, we want to claim this promise from you that you are our great physician. Here's kind of the thought that David has. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. I know who you say you are. And God, I'm asking you to do it again. He says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. David realizes here that phrase, my goodness extendeth not to thee, is quite literally, all of my good doesn't even come close to who you are. It doesn't come close to where you are. And can I encourage each one of us that in our lives, let's remember that at the end of the day, we're not nearly as good as God is. That all of our goodness does not compare to who God is or how good he is. 
So maybe sometimes when we're struggling with different things in our life, when we're uh, maybe fighting some temptations, when we don't understand why things are happening to us, don't question, God, are you still good? Claim his promise of, God, I know you're good. And I'm asking you to show me that again in my life. This is an incredible verse. My goodness extendeth not to thee. In every situation that we're in, may we too say with David, God, you know what's best for me. You know what will bring the most good in this situation. Not only do we see that we need to focus on God, but in these next couple of verses, he talks about having fellowship with godly people. Uh, He says in the end of verse number two, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. He says, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Here in verse number three, he talks about that he delights in those that follow God. And can I encourage us this evening with this, that we need to make it a point that our delight, our joy, a lot of our happiness should be found in those that follow God. In and of our flesh, it can be easy sometimes to say, hey, I know this person doesn't follow God. Maybe they talk about things that aren't right or are inappropriate, uh, but it's just really fun to be around them. Can I encourage you, don't let that be what guides you to hang out with people. Maybe they like the same sports team as you. Maybe they like uh, whatever other hobby it is uh, that you have, but don't allow yourself to be dragged down by others who aren't following God. Uh, The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, that uh, evil communications corrupt good manners. And uh, there's that thought just kind of constantly throughout the Bible. We see it in Psalm 1 especially where he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He goes more into this in in verse number four. He says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. He says, The people that are hastening after another God will have their sorrows multiplied. We'll see a little bit later in this uh, this psalm that uh, David realizes the fact that joy and happiness and fulfillment is only found in God. It's not found in... uh, phrased here, hastening or chasing after another God. And it can be very easy uh, to do this, to chase after other gods. It might be easy to chase after a God of money. It might be easy to chase after a God uh, maybe just of relationships or even a family. Uh, It can be easy to chase after gods of whatever it might be. Uh, There were some people when I was growing up that uh, sports was definitely their God. Uh, For some of them, it was playing sports, and they wanted to make it into uh, at least the minor leagues, if not the major leagues. And that was what they devoted their time to. It's what they devoted all of their uh, maybe thinking about. It's what they spent their money on, and that was everything. They chased after that God. For other people that I've seen, it's they have chased after the one true God. And they've given of their time. uh, They've given of their study. All of it to follow God. When we look at our life, let's take inventory of what we're spending our time thinking about, 
what we're spending our money on, uh, what all of these things are amounting to. If you look at your life, if you look at maybe your checkbook, if you look at uh, maybe your phone usage, see what you're spending time on, what you're spending money on, see what's important to you in your life. And that'll show you uh, which God you're chasing after. Not only do we see that we need to focus on God and fellowship with godly people, but we also see that we need to find joy in what God has given. In verse number five, he says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. In verse number five here, he says, The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. Like I mentioned earlier, Property was hugely important to the Jews in these days, especially in the Promised Land. Uh, They had the sections that each of the different tribes were supposed to inhabit, and they had the different sections that each of the families in those tribes were supposed to inhabit. And here he says, God, even though right now I'm stuck on a mountain 30 miles away from home, even though I'm being chased around like a wild animal, being hunted, not for doing what's evil, but for doing what's right, He says, God, my inheritance right now isn't this little plot of land in Bethlehem. My inheritance, what I get in life, is you. Not only does he say that God is the portion of his inheritance, but he also says, God, you're the portion of my cup. And a lot of times in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when you read about the cup, it's what you enjoy in life, um, It's what makes life good. It's what makes it enjoyable. And he says, God, what I get out of life is you, and what I enjoy in life is you. What do you find your joy in? Do you find joy in just people? Do you find your enjoyment in just videos? Do you find your enjoyment in just tasks or in hobbies? Or do you find joy in the things of God? Can I tell you, it's encouraging when we look into the Bible and we're able to see who God is and what he's done for us, the hope that we now have in Christ, the fact that we're no longer headed for hell, but we're headed for heaven, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit that walks with us and uh, teaches us in the way that we're supposed to go. Jesus told the disciples that when the Holy Spirit's come, he will bring to mind everything that Jesus talked to us about. And uh, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand Scripture. Uh, We know from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 that uh, the things that are in the Bible aren't just, oh, yeah, I can just academically, you know, learn some of the things of the Bible, and uh, that'll get me through. But the Bible says that the things of Scripture are spiritually discerned. As we look in Scripture and as we see the love that God has for us, the incredible price that he's paid for us, all of the different things that he's made a way in our lives for us to have that fulfillment and that joy and that happiness that's not based on our circumstances, it's not based on how good we are, but it's simply based on the gifts that God has given, that should bring joy in our lives. When we come here on a Sunday morning and we get to sing songs about how we're forgiven forever, about how death was arrested or stopped in its tracks by Jesus dying on the cross for us and how now we have new life in him, that should bring us joy. When we get to serve with other people around us, uh, thank you again to so many of you that helped with everything through uh, the Community Sunday and the Into the City outreaches. Uh, What you did 
honestly, as I was serving alongside of you, brought me joy. It makes me happy to know that I've got other people in this race that are serving alongside of me, that are chasing after God, that are finding fulfillment and joy and happiness in following God with each other. It says, the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup, he says, thou maintainest my lot. I love that. He says, you maintain what I have. That God, right now, all I have is, you know, a group of some men and this side of a mountain right now. I don't have land. Uh, we know that he even had to leave his wife behind. He says, all I've got is these smelly guys in the side of a mountain. But God, you're enough. I find joy in you. And I know that you are maintaining, you're keeping, you're protecting everything that I'm supposed to have, my lot. And then here in verse number six, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Those lines that he's talking about there is that uh, those boundaries of the different plots of land. And he says, God, what you have set up for me is pleasant. God taught me a hard lesson about this a little bit earlier today. Um, so I was at the house. We were about to go eat lunch. And something happened with the plumbing. And I went, oh, no. Samantha would tell you. I was freaking out. I was unhappy. And uh, as we got it all fixed up and everything was set, I realized in thinking about this evening's message, oh, God, I haven't been appreciating the lines, the, the boundaries. I haven't been appreciating what you've given me. Can I encourage each of us? We may not have a lot. We may have quite a bit. But wherever we are in life, whatever God has given to us, we should be thankful for. If we say, God, I've got one bedroom, a kitchen, and a restroom, it's enough for me. If we are, you know, fortunate enough to say, God, I've got 12 bedrooms and 12 bathrooms and three kitchens, God, thank you. May we never be guilty of being unthankful for everything that God has done in our life. Letting God know that, God, what you've given me is good. When he says here, it's fallen unto me in pleasant places. He says, yea, I have a goodly heritage. Be thankful uh, maybe for the family that God has given you. He's given you them for a reason. Uh, maybe they aren't Christians or maybe they aren't walking with the Lord. But can I encourage you, maybe God gave them to you so that you could witness to them. I know many people uh, that have been able to lead uh, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles to the Lord. And uh, God put them in that family exactly for that reason. Maybe you have some family members that are saved and are walking with the Lord. And uh, can I encourage you to be thankful for them? Uh, in my case, it was I've got a, a mom and a dad um, that loved the Lord and tried to raise uh, me and my siblings uh, exactly what, the way that they thought God would want them to. And uh, sometimes in life, you know, you might uh, fight against your parents or you might fight against a loved one and you'd say, oh, man, I don't need you. But can I encourage you to be thankful for those that are around you? Be thankful uh, not only for maybe if you're... Uh, 
physical heritage or your physical family, but be thankful as well for your spiritual family. And a lot of times we can have that same thought there of sometimes we might not get along with everyone at church, but can I encourage you to love one another as Christ has loved us and realize that, you know, maybe in a hundred years, none of us will be here. None of us will be here, but we'll all be in heaven together, praising the Lord forever. And that puts all of maybe if we have a squabble with something or with another person, we can put that to rest knowing that we're family through what Christ has done. Uh, the Bible calls us in Romans 8, joint heirs with Christ, that now we're part of the family of God. Uh, John 1, 12, uh, to them that believe he hath given to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. We see next that we must favor God's counsel. In verse number seven, he says this, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. I love this thought that David didn't have, you know, all 66 books of the Bible like we do right now. He would have only had uh, maybe the Pentateuch, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, maybe some of Joshua or Judges, maybe the book of Job, and of course he was writing a lot of the Psalms and things of that nature. He didn't have all of Scripture that we have now, but he says this to God. He says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. When was the last time that you were thankful for God's word? When was the last time that you took special notice of, God, thank you for giving me instructions on how to go through life, that I don't have to do this blindly, I don't have to do this just on my own or with my own opinions or thoughts. We can all go terrible, uh, terribly wrong when it comes to making decisions in our life. Uh, we see this in the Bible in the book of Judges uh, when it talks about every man did what was right in his own eyes. And you can just read through the book of Judges and you can see the horrible consequences that came as a result of people following what was right in their own eyes. Uh, you can also see this uh, in Proverbs when it talks about there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need God's word in our life to uh, encourage us, to uh, help us to do what we need to do. And he says here, my rains also instruct me in the night seasons. That word rains there is like that innermost being. It's everything that's inside of me propels me. Uh, we know from some different uh, passages of scripture that uh, David talks about, thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against God. Uh, we also see, uh, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. David had a huge emphasis on, God, I'm going to memorize what you say. I'm going to put it into me that when I'm thinking, I'm going to be thinking about what you've said. God, when I'm having actions, I'm going to, before I act, remember what you've said about whatever it is. And so here he says, in the night seasons, uh, when it's dark, when it's uncertain, my reins, my innermost being instruct me that because I've hidden your word in my heart, when the night seasons come, when maybe some trials are coming, that then I'm propelled forward by your word that I know exactly maybe what I need to do or the faith or the trust that I need to have in you as a result. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
He then says this, God, because I've put you first, I know that whatever comes my way is through your hand. That whatever comes at me, because I've put you first, has to go through you before it gets to me. Um, my parents, a lot of times when I was younger, talked about, uh, they termed it, and I know it's not original to them, the umbrella of protection, that uh, when I was maybe following them or obeying them, that there was safety in that. But if I were to step outside of maybe their protection uh, or outside of their counsel, then I would be open to attacks from Satan. For instance, uh, for some people it might be, okay, I'm going to obey my parents in not going out at night, late at night by myself. Because then if they do that, maybe there might be a drunk driver on the road that might hit them. There might be some bad influences or some bad friends that would encourage them uh, to do things that aren't right and that aren't biblical. Uh, and you have there that when you stay underneath protection, there's safety. It's kind of the thought that David's going for here, that because God is always before me and because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. That if a trial comes to me, I know it's not because I put myself in trouble. It's not that, you know, and uh, we've been going through our relentless series on Sunday mornings. It's not that I stepped outside of God's will and I started worshiping other gods. And that's why all of these trials and tribulations are coming at me. But it's, I know if anything does come at me, it's because God has a specific lesson for me to learn and that I can trust him through all of this. Next, we see that we need to follow God's path and God's presence. We see in verse number nine, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Here we see in verse 9, David started off the psalm with kind of this plea to God. He says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. He says, God, I need you right now. I can't do this on my own. But by verse number 9, as he's encouraged himself in the Lord, as he says, God, I'm focusing on you. Uh, I'm fellowshipping with godly people, uh, that I'm uh, following your word and your counsel, that now I can rejoice in you. He says, my heart is glad, my glory rejoiceth, my flesh also shall rest in hope. He says, I was concerned about what was coming at me. I was scared about it. I called out to you, but I know that there's safety in you. He says, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And we see here an obvious reference to uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Peter uh, referenced this in Acts chapter 2 when he was talking to the Jews and uh, he referenced this psalm and this part of it that he says, hey, David said, thou wilt uh, not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He says, David died and is in the grave and we all know where his grave is. He says, so David wasn't talking about himself here. He was talking about Jesus and obviously Jesus uh, wasn't left in the grave, but he resurrected. He says, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And uh, here we have this awesome truth that just as certain as the resurrection happened, just as certain as Jesus was risen from the grave, that we can know that whatever trial we're going through, there will be deliverance. Now, 
Sometimes our deliverance takes place here on earth. Maybe right now it's a financial trouble and uh, we'd say, hey God, I really need your help right now with this financial trouble. Sometimes God might choose to say, all right, I'm going to deliver you from this financial trouble. Sometimes it might be like it was for David eventually that David did eventually die, but he had faith in God uh, about the resurrection that he says, God, you're not going to leave me there. And uh, whatever trials that we're going through in life, God may choose to deliver us from them here and now on earth, but he will deliver us from all of our trials and tribulations one day in heaven. And uh, we learned about that a couple weeks ago uh, in one of our Sunday school classes in 2 Corinthians uh, that uh, we can have joy in the Lord knowing uh, that all of our troubles, all of our trials are but, uh, I'm trying to remember what that word is there, that a light affliction. Everything terrible that's happening in our life, the biggest insurmountable problem that we don't have a solution for is just a light affliction to God that in one moment in his presence, every tear that we've ever cried will be wiped away, that every heartache we've ever felt will be completely absolved by the presence of God and the joy of being in heaven forever with him. So maybe in our life it might be that, hey, we're going through a trial right now, but I know that one day God's going to deliver me. And uh, in some things it might be, hey, God, uh, I, w- I need to have victory over this sin in my life. And we know that it's the will of God that uh, we would be able to grow into a mature believer, a complete believer, one that's not uh, kind of bound, not a slave to sin like we learned about in Romans 6 on Sunday. Um, that God wants to deliver you from those things. And this is a great verse. Uh, these couple of verses here are great verses to claim for God that, hey, Lord, I know that you've promised deliverance for me, and I want to have victory over maybe the words that I say. God, I want to have victory over these thoughts that I'm thinking. God, I want to have victory in whatever area it is. God, I want to rest in you. He says here in verse number 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I heard a sermon on this, maybe my 10th grade year of high school. Um, that Brother John Getz preached, and uh, he talked about the story of Jacob and Esau and how Esau uh, sold his birthright or everything that was supposed to be coming to him to Jacob for just a bowl of pottage, just a bowl of some lentil beans. And in that story, uh, Brother Getz brought out the fact that so often in our lives, we trade what God has for us, we trade uh, the greatness of what God wants to do with us, We trade it for insignificant minor things. And here we see David talking about, thou wilt show me the path of life, and the presence is fullness of joy. At that right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That so often we say, hey God, I know you want me to do life this way. I know you want me to act in this way towards other people. I know you want me to say these words. But then we're unkind to others, and we're maybe surprised that we don't have the relationships with others that we would want to have. God says, hey, I don't want you to lie. Maybe we lie and it hurts our career or it hurts our relationship with someone else. God says, hey, I want you uh, to do what's right as far as your relationship with your spouse. And then we step outside of that 
And we're surprised that there's this hardship and there's this pain. When we follow God's word and God's way, he has that perfect plan for us. He has this kind of blueprint laid out in the word of God is, if you do this, you'll be the word, the Bible word for it is blessed. That as we follow God, as we follow his word, that there's blessing and there's happiness. When we follow our own way, uh, going back to verse number four, it says their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. When we're chasing after things that are not God, when we're chasing after things that God has said not to do, there's sorrow in that. There's pain in that. But David says here, as I'm trying to follow you, God, as I'm trying to do what's right, as I'm going through all of these hardships in life, I know this. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I heard it said this way, that there's pleasures in sin for a season, that there's maybe temporary happiness that you can find in chasing after money. There's temporary happiness you can have uh, in sin or in drugs or whatever it might be, but it only lasts for a little bit. But the happiness that we have in following God and telling others about him in living in the way that he wants us to, there are pleasures forevermore, fullness of joy and the path of life. Through this psalm, David says this kind of as the overarching theme. God, I want to focus on you. I want a fellowship with godly people. I want to follow after you and your word and your counsel. And I want to follow your path for my life, not my own. May we have that same heart towards God. That God, I don't know what all is going to come this week. I don't know what all is coming up this next month. But I am going to focus on you. I'm going to fellowship with other godly people. I'm going to follow you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit Moses Lake Baptist Church.